Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, April 25th, 2023, the 825th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Welcome back to the show. I am sorry about my absence. Thursday last week, I intended to get an episode up. I was halfway through recording that episode and my flight to Phoenix for GART got canceled. The notification on my computer popped up right as I was recording and immediately I had to shift into and that consumed the rest of the afternoon. I ended up having to take 
an earlier flight out, which actually got me in later and forced me to go through the entire nonsense that is air travel in our country at this point. I thought I'd have an episode up, but life circumstances made that impossible. Anyhow, it was a great weekend at GART. I really enjoyed seeing the rest of the Badlands crew, some of whom I've never met before. It was great to meet them and their wives. It was wonderful to meet all the supporters of Badlands Media and of my show. I loved seeing You Sound Vaccinated t-shirts. Thank you, everyone who handed us gifts and cards or asked questions about our ideas, offered ideas of their own. It's always really nice to interact with real people in a location where you can be pretty sure that no one is going to run away screaming from something you said that they don't like. It was great to meet some of our sponsors. It was awesome being on panels with some people who I've never had a chance to interact with beyond cordial greetings in Zoom meetings and whatnot. But it was a busy weekend with a lot of travel, and yesterday I was just in no mindset to try to get a show up. So I hope you'll forgive me. A lot happened over the weekend. A lot has been happening in the world in general, and we're going to catch up with some of that over the course of this week. Today, I want to focus in mostly on Joe Biden, but it bears mentioning that within the last week, we've seen some major media exits. Last week, in the days following the settlement in the Fox Dominion lawsuit, Dan Bongino and Fox parted ways. They said it was over a contract dispute. They couldn't reach terms. And now Bongino is off doing his own thing. I was a big fan of Bongino throughout 2020 and became pretty disappointed when he stopped talking about election fraud in early 2021. And while I don't imagine I would agree with any of his reasons for doing that, I still generally think he's probably a good guy and we'll wait to see what step he takes next. His show is certainly going to be just as big. His audience is not going to leave him just because he and Fox are no longer a thing. I hope that this frees him up to explore subjects in a bit of a deeper way than he was when he had to represent the Fox brand. Don Lemon got ousted from CNN yesterday, and that's great news, I guess, although it's probably just irrelevant news because no one really pays attention to Don Lemon anymore. Don Lemon is more of an avatar about how ridiculous and untrustworthy CNN now is. We got news today that one of the most ridiculous frauds in political media, the poll analyzer, Nate Silver, has left his position at ABC. And we will see if anyone has the appetite for his brand of expertise in political media. You have to imagine he will wind up somewhere doing the same dumb thing he's done for a very long time. And then, of course, we have Tucker Carlson exiting from Fox News. That is the biggest news out of all these media exits. And as you might imagine, there is plenty of speculation about what exactly caused that and where Tucker will end up next. People have theorized that it has something to do with 
his January 6th footage. Tucker spent one night putting out January 6th footage that people haven't seen on issues that they do know about and then promptly stopped spreading the footage. He did not return to it in the month or so since that happened. And a lot of people believe that that's because of pressure from Fox. I guess we'll see what Tucker does next. Tucker also did a segment last week on the vaccines and how no one ever really vetted them and how they never should have been mandated, etc. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr., among others, think that that has something to do with Tucker and Fox parting ways. Fox, of course, being the mainstream regime propaganda media they are, depends on pharma advertising and they have to go along with the pharma narrative. Maybe that had something to do with Tucker's exit. He also said last week that it was very clear Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. And he also mentioned pizza. So people think that maybe that all has something to do with Tucker's exit. And the truth is, maybe all of that does have something to do with Tucker's exit. I find it particularly interesting that Tucker and Bongino are both out within the week that the Fox and Dominion lawsuit ends. Now, again, we discussed last week what this settlement means. It's being portrayed in the media as if Fox admitted that the hosts were lying, hence the nearly $800 million settlement. The idea being that there's no way Fox would have paid that money to settle if Dominion didn't have them dead to rights. But all you have to do is look at the discovery docs in the Dominion lawsuit to know that Dominion did not have them dead to rights. The only way to make this lawsuit go away and preserve the regime was to create a settlement like this. And you'll recall that the judge in the case prohibited the evidence from being shown to the jury, declaring as a matter of fact that Fox's claims were all false without the jury having ever examined those claims. You can go back to last week's episodes for more on that. But the point is, if this lawsuit actually carried through to the point where a jury would see evidence and a decision would be made, there would be no way to find in favor of Dominion and there would be no way to cover up to the public what evidence was actually available in this trial from Dominion's own discovery. You might recall the HBO documentary Kill Chain that has expert witnesses and many prominent Democrats acknowledging that the machines used in our elections really are a problem. They cannot provide accurate results and they are wide open and vulnerable to hacking and other various types of manipulation. All of that has been long known. It is therefore impossible for Dominion to win defamation suits when the evidence is presented and available because the claims about Dominion simply are not false and Dominion's own discovery shows that. So Fox did the only thing that could protect both Fox and Dominion, both prominent aspects of the regime with similar overall goals and aligned interests. The only way to protect both entities is to settle. Dominion could not win the case and Fox can't win the case, not because the facts aren't on their side and a jury wouldn't find that Dominion simply could not prove defamation, but because if Fox won by showing 
that Dominion machines don't work, then Fox has to admit to its viewers that it has ignored this problem for two and a half years and is still covering it up now. And apparently no one in Con Inc. Media has figured this out. They all just listen to one another's claims about what this settlement means and think that that supports the fact that they've ignored all of this for two and a half years. They are all still relying on debunkings from the mainstream media and social media platforms. This is one of the most censored claims in our society, and we still have mainstream conservative media pretending that none of it's true and that all of it should have been censored. And as soon as they restate all of these slogans over again, they talk about how they're the truly pragmatic and responsible people. All they want to do is win. And that's why they're supporting Ron DeSantis and ignoring every single claim about election fraud. They want to win in the rigged system, which requires them to keep the system rigged. If they admit that the system is rigged, as all of the country is discovering right now, well, then they look like they've spent the last two and a half years covering for the regime and lying about it, which it turns out is exactly what they've done. It's like they don't care that much about winning. So Bongino and Tucker, two of Fox News's biggest stars, are out within one week and the company is losing value quickly, as you might imagine. Viewers have virtually no reason to tune into Fox anymore, unless for whatever reason, you're the sort of normie Republican who loves Hannity or Laura Ingram or Mark Levin. Why else would anyone tune into a network that clearly hates its own audience? To the extent that it matters, and they're not just going to go be controlled opposition somewhere else, Tucker and Bongino are probably the two most pro-Trump hosts that Fox News had. And that could have certainly been the reason as well. Maybe Tucker and Bongino got sick of working for a company that makes them look like they are peddlers of propaganda and not the truth seekers and truth speakers they brand themselves to be. So we'll see what happens. There have been rumors about where Tucker will end up everywhere from CNN to OAN. People throwing out numbers like 25 million a year, 50 million a year. I think both of those are probably low balls if you're Tucker Carlson at this point. The truth is, if he really wanted to make money, he should just go independent. There's a lot of Americans out there who will pay five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month to get all of Tucker Carlson's content, particularly if he embraces the fact that he is no longer under corporate control and gets to speak his mind. He should do the sort of thing that I've been suggesting everyone with massive platforms do in the last couple of years, which is to go do their own thing on one of the free speech platforms and actually just charge for their content because people will pay it. And if they do start speaking the truth about the things that weren't okay to discuss on Fox, they will have no problem attracting and keeping an audience. But we shall see. We will learn a lot about their motivations based on what their next steps are.
So let's get into the status of the issues swirling around the fake president and his family. Last week, Donald Trump released what is surely his shortest presidential video statement on Truth Social, just asking one simple question. And here it is. Where's Hunter? And that's it. That's the statement. Where's Hunter? This question was asked quite a lot in 2020 in the lead up to the 2020 election. Where is Hunter? Where is Hunter? And a lot of people speculated at the time that Hunter had been perhaps taken into custody or had maybe flipped. And a lot of those theories revolved around how the Hunter Biden laptop ended up being left at J.P. McIsaac's computer repair shop in Delaware. How is it possible that Hunter Biden left a laptop there with all of the evidence of the things he'd been doing over the years, the drugs, the hookers, the weird sexual relationship with his brother's widow and her sister, the breakdown of his relationships, the corruption within the family, and of course, evidence of the Biden family's political corruption around the world with our foreign adversaries, all four regime projects raking in huge money that spans decades. How did Hunter leave a computer with all of that at a repair shop and never return to pick it up, even though he had been contacted multiple times by the repair shop? The repair shop had contacted the FBI and for months, nothing had been done until late 2019. The FBI finally took that laptop into their possession. That laptop contains evidence of the Biden family's dealings with Ukraine and China and Russia, among others. And the FBI had it in their possession while the deep state in Congress was trying to impeach Donald Trump for investigating the Biden family's history of corruption, particularly in Ukraine, revolving around Hunter Biden's employment at Burisma and Joe Biden's own quid pro quo, getting the Ukrainian corruption prosecutor fired and threatening to withhold U.S. aid to Ukraine until they did so. Something about that story just never made sense to a lot of people. It doesn't make complete sense to me, even as a degenerate crackhead, as Hunter Biden surely is, a man who lost his computers and phones all the time. That history is available on the laptop. Marco Polo has analyzed all of this extensively. You may have heard my interviews with Garrett Ziegler, the founder of Marco Polo. Is it possible that this degenerate, incompetent, ne'er-do-well child of a man who for the last 50 years has held political power in the United States, is it possible that even someone like this could do something so stupid and so obviously harmful to himself and his family? And that has been a mystery for a very long time. Is it possible? I guess it's possible. Does it seem likely? doesn't seem likely to me, and it never has. It's always been a confusing issue. The Marco Polo position is that they go on the evidence they have. The story they have, the best version of the story they can find after extensive research, is that Hunter left the laptop there 
John Paul MacIsaac tried to contact Hunter again and again to come back and retrieve his laptop. He never did it. After 90 days, he has relinquished the rights to that property and JP MacIsaac is allowed to get rid of it or do whatever with it. Hunter did not come pick up his laptop. And if you're going just on what can be known and proven, that's the best story you're going to get. Now, I have suggested on this show before that I think what we see in many domains is a controlled release of information, a narrative info op designed to disseminate all this information and provide disclosure in a way that the public is able to understand building on past narratives. And that it seems like there is an element to many of these stories that indicates something more is going on that we are not privy to necessarily. I mentioned this with the Twitter files and Elon Musk's release of the Twitter files through a group of very mainstream, normie, mostly leftist journalists like Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, Alex Berenson, Barry Weiss, Lee Fang. None of these people are remotely America first. None of them like Trump. None of them seem to have any clue what's actually going on in the world and why Trump matters. But nonetheless, they were tasked with this very important release of information. It needed to be handled properly and disseminated to the public in a way they'd pay attention to it. So these people were chosen and what we got essentially amounted to a limited hangout on some levels. We haven't gotten the full story. We haven't gotten anywhere close to the full story. Their reporting put some flesh on the bones of some stories that we've been covering now for a couple of years, two, three years, this censorship thing that we've known about for a long time, the Twitter censorship, the government's involvement in censorship. They have put some additional form and structure on it. They have sent it out to the masses. And now people in the mainstream have a better idea of how their government was involved in censoring them. But everything they released seemed like it was already prepackaged. Everything they released related to stories that were already kind of part of the public consciousness. It did not look in any way like Twitter just opened up and gave these journalists all their data and said, hey, journalists, do your job, get in here, analyze all of this information and let us know what you find. That is, by and large, not what we got at all. What we got were stories people had a familiarity with and some facts and some emails, some records that supported those stories. Facts about COVID were censored. Facts about Hunter Biden's laptop were censored. Facts about the election and the insurrection were censored. Facts about who was censored were censored. But anyone who's been paying attention to these issues for a long time already knew about all of that. And the same thing, more or less, applied to Tucker Carlson's release of January 6th footage. We thought we were going to get this big thing. All the January 6th footage was going to come out. Citizen journalists could get their hands on it, go through all of it and figure out what's going on. That's not what we got at all. What we got were a few pieces of video that related directly to stories the public was already familiar with, like Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, and amid threats that Tucker not release any more information, we never saw another thing. 
It was a one episode story and then it disappeared. And as I've talked about this week with the reruns, I'm sure that it will reappear again and we'll get more video that refutes more of the mainstream story, more of the story that was shown to the public throughout the January 6th sham committee hearings, their primetime specials on television. But in both cases, in the Twitter files releases and the January 6th video footage release, what we really got is just a little more foundational information propping up a bunch of stories we already knew about. Some of these stories might have been shocking for the normies out there, the villagers. If you remember that episode I did a few months ago on M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, someone just reminded me about that the other day. But for some of them, maybe this stuff was really shocking. It wasn't shocking at all for us. In fact, we're all still wondering where the real information is. What has come out seems like it is the release of a prepackaged intelligence product. And there are reasons to believe that Hunter Biden's laptop always represented the same thing. Do I know that's the case? No, I don't. But that possibility seems more and more likely as we move through this process. And the Hunter Biden stuff is all coming up again. This is from Just the News Wednesday last week. Whistleblower bombshell. IRS agent alleges DOJ thwarting criminal prosecution of Hunter Biden. A decorated supervisory IRS agent has reported to the Justice Department's top watchdog that federal prosecutors appointed by Joe Biden have engaged in preferential treatment and politics to block criminal charges against presidential son Hunter Biden, providing evidence as a whistleblower that conflicts with Attorney General Merrick Garland's recent testimony to Congress that the decision to bring charges against Biden was being left to the Trump appointed U.S. attorney for Delaware. So Merrick Garland testifies that he is totally hands off. The administration is totally hands off when it comes to the Hunter Biden investigations. You know that the first thing this fake administration cares about is the free and fair application of law and justice in this country. And if there's one other thing they care about, oh, it's transparency. So they would never lie, especially not in testimony before Congress. And they all know exactly what's going on. They're leaving it to Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss. According to a letter from the whistleblower's attorney, Mark Lytle, to Congress obtained by Just the News, the IRS agent revealed he is seeking to provide detailed disclosures about a high profile sensitive case to the tax writing committees in Congress, which have special authority under federal tax privacy laws to receive such information that could pave the way to share the details with other committees in the coming weeks. The letter does not state that the whistleblower disclosures are related to Hunter Biden. However, Just the News has independently confirmed the agent's allegations involve the Hunter Biden probe being led by Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump holdover, according to multiple interviews with people directly familiar with the matter. In a letter Wednesday to Republicans and Democrats overseeing multiple oversight committees in Congress, Lytle wrote, the protected disclosures, one, contradict sworn testimony to Congress by a senior political appointee, two, 
involve failure to mitigate clear conflicts of interest in the ultimate disposition of the case. And three, detail examples of preferential treatment and politics improperly infecting decisions and protocols that would normally be followed by career law enforcement professionals in similar circumstances if the subject were not politically connected. Jumping down a bit in the article. The IRS agent has a sterling record investigating tax crimes across the globe, including work on high profile Swiss bank prosecutions and has won several merit awards. His emergence now in such a politically charged case is certain to inflame a debate over unequal justice in Washington. The whistleblower originally approached the IRS's internal watchdog and Congress late last year with the help of prominent Democrat lawyer Mark Zaid who previously represented clients whose allegations about a call with the Ukrainian president led to Donald Trump's first impeachment in 2019. Isn't it interesting how it all comes back around? The agent subsequently hired Lytle, a former federal prosecutor with significant experience in prosecuting complex tax matters with the Justice Department's tax division. Lytle also represented former Twitter head of trust and safety Yoel Roth, in his recent congressional testimony and is currently defending a former FBI supervisor named Timothy Tebow, who has been accused of pro-Biden political bias in anonymous whistleblower disclosures to the offices of Senators Chuck Grassley, Ron Johnson, and the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan. And for more about Tim Tebow, not the former Florida Gators and sort of NFL quarterback, but the FBI guy, you can just go to hereshunter.com. You will find Marco Polo's report on the Biden laptop. You just click right into the report. You can use the search feature, type in Tebow, T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T, and you will begin learning about Tim Tebow's role in all of this. Here's a little snippet. According to their former and current colleagues who have come forward as whistleblowers to U.S. senators, FBI headquarters supervisory intelligence analyst Brian Auten and assistant special agent in charge of the Washington field office Tim Tebow were the so-called tip of the FBI spear in D.C. handling the Biden laptop slow walk operation. Auten evidently opened a so-called assessment in August 2020, just three months before the presidential election which threw cold water on the Bureau's already beleaguered investigation, which was being managed by the Baltimore field office. Auten's assessment was then utilized by ASAC Tebow, who reposted numerous vile and derogatory messages about his then boss, President Trump, as a justification for ordering investigative activity to cease. And there is another interesting section about Biden whistleblower, I guess we can call him, Tony Bobolinsky, ASAC Tebow was not in D.C. that day, and that day being the day Tony Bobolinsky met with the FBI. But four of his colleagues, SAC of the Criminal and Cyber Division, Jim Dawson, Supervisory Special Agent Julio Arseni, Bill Novak and Garrett Churchill, met with Bobolinsky. Novak and Churchill even videotaped Bobolinsky's interview and impounded his devices. Following the interview, ASAC Tebow repeatedly assured Bobolinsky's attorneys that the FBI agents Tony met with would follow up with him regarding the evidence he provided. The agents never did. But back to just the news. 
Lytle told lawmakers in his letter that the IRS agent has also disclosed his concerns to both the Treasury Department Inspector General for Tax Administration and Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz, the same watchdog who unmasked FBI abuses during the Russian collusion case. People directly familiar with the case have described the disclosures to Just the News as focused primarily on improper politicization of the case at the Justice Department and FBI headquarters rather than at the IRS or the Treasury Department. Specifically, the agent has provided evidence that at least two Biden DOJ political appointees in U.S. attorney's offices have declined to seek a tax indictment against Hunter Biden, despite career investigators' recommendations to do so, and the blessing of career prosecutors in the DOJ tax division. He also alleges that Weiss told agents on the case that the Delaware U.S. attorney asked to be named a special counsel to have more independent authority in the probe, but was turned down according to interviews. The agent also alleged that specific DOJ employees placed strictures on questions, witnesses and tactics investigators may be allowed to pursue that could impact President Biden, according to the interviews. The sources said the agent's decision to blow the whistle was prompted by sworn testimony from Garland that Delaware U.S. Attorney Weiss had full authority, free from political pressure, to pursue a case against Hunter Biden in any part of the country, according to the interviews. And skipping down once again, one of the issues key to the whistleblower's concerns involves which U.S. Attorney's office has the authority to bring criminal tax charges and where. The whistleblower alleged that Trump appointed U.S. Attorney David Weiss could not legally bring charges in Delaware. Because of where Hunter Biden lived at the time his tax returns were filed, Weiss needed the permission of Biden appointed U.S. attorneys in other districts to bring charges outside of Delaware. The agent alleges two such U.S. attorneys appointed by Biden declined his requests, according to interviews. The DOJ IG has deemed the agent's allegations to be credible and serious enough to gather and preserve the corroborating documents and seek witnesses, according to the interviews. IRS cases involving uncharged defendants are covered by extraordinary privacy protections under the law, even when a person has acknowledged he is under tax investigation. However, the tax secrecy laws explicitly authorize disclosures to the committees in Congress with jurisdiction over tax laws, such as the House Ways and Means and Senate Finance Committees. Both committees received the letter from the Whistleblowers Council seeking an invitation to testify to both sides of the political aisle about the controversy. So things are really heating up in Biden world. The congressional committees, as relayed by James Comer a couple of weeks ago, have now acquired the bank records which support the claims made by the Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley report in 2020, that all of this money from our foreign adversaries was pouring into the Biden family. They say they have records now from Cathay Bank and elsewhere that suggest the Bidens received tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars that they then directed through their various shell corporations. And last week, we found out that there are potentially another six members of the Biden family who are being looked at. That brings the total to nine Biden family members directly benefiting from the Biden's foreign dealings in political corruption. And of course, as we mentioned the other day, 
We now have testimony indicating the Biden campaign's direct involvement in producing the letter from 51 former intelligence officials that claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was a product of a Russian disinformation campaign. Miranda Devine wrote about this in an article titled The Left Ignores the Real Biden Delaware Drama to Satisfy Their Bias. This is from the New York Post, also Wednesday last week. And in the article, she writes, take the bombshell this week from former acting CIA director Mike Morrell. In a sworn interview, Morrell has admitted it was Joe Biden's presidential campaign that prompted the infamous letter in which Morrell and 50 fellow former intelligence officials falsely claimed that material from Hunter Biden's laptop published by the Post before the 2020 election was Russian disinformation. Sources on the House Judiciary Committee have confirmed Tony Blinken, now Secretary of State, was the Biden campaign foreign affairs advisor who urgently phoned Morell in October 2020 to suggest the laptop was a Russian plant. We can prove that the entire purpose of this letter at the outset was to influence a presidential election with some of the most senior people who have ever been in our intelligence community using the imprimatur of their security clearances to pave the way for Joe Biden's presidency. Congressman Matt Gates told Steve Bannon's War Room podcast this week. Morell, now a CBS contributor, was deposed last week by the House Judiciary Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. And isn't that amazing? The former intelligence official who got 50 other intelligence officials to sign their name to this letter on behalf of the Biden campaign in an effort to explicitly disinform the American public is employed by CBS News. He admitted that after the call from Blinken, he solicited signatures for his letter from 50 other intelligence officials. Morell wanted to be Joe Biden's CIA director, got a call from Tony Blinken, who was representing the Biden campaign, saying, gee, Mike, doesn't this Hunter Biden laptop look like Russian disinformation? Said Gates, Morell testifies that then triggers him to be the ringleader of an enterprise to go to others and to put together a letter for the specific purpose of use by Joe Biden in the presidential debate. We can prove that and much more. That's what Matt Gates is saying at this point, said it the other day on War Room. The committee has also interviewed a former advisor to ex-CIA director John Brennan and Obama White House alum Nick Shapiro, who cooked up the letter with Morell and delivered it to Politico. And later in the article, Miranda Devine mentions the Merrick Garland issue as far as this IRS whistleblower is concerned. She writes, in sworn testimony to a Senate oversight hearing on March 1st, Garland was grilled about the Delaware investigation into Hunter by Senator Chuck Grassley. Garland was asked whether Weiss had, quote, sought permission of another U.S. attorney's office, such as in the District of Columbia or California, both places where Hunter has lived, to bring tax-related charges. If so, was it denied? Garland replied that he did not know, but went on to insist that Weiss has been advised that he has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it necessary. He is not to be denied anything that he needs 
And if that were to happen, it should ascend through the department's ranks. And I have not heard anything from that office to suggest that they are not able to do everything that the U.S. attorney wants to do. Now, it's possible that Garland is lying. It's possible that he's being honest and doesn't know any of this stuff because he's completely out of the loop, which would suggest that there is a lot more we can speculate on, but can't be sure about happening in the background there. But either way, something is not adding up. And I have a feeling we're going to find out what exactly that is in the not too distant future, because we are in a period of rapid disclosure right now across a number of different issues as these reruns play over and over again. Now, speaking of Antony Blinken, I mentioned the other day that Colonel John Mills on War Room suggested that Mexico's government was no longer taking phone calls from the fake administration's secretary of state's office in regard to handling the cartels or any of the border situations. They just completely ignore the fake administration's state department, our next door neighbors to the South, no longer care about the fake administration's state department. That should signal to everyone that something else much bigger is going on. You can say that they just don't want to deal with the fake administration or with Tony Blinken because they're all so incompetent, but that's not enough. It's our next door neighbor to the South. They have to figure out some way to work together, don't they? They can just ignore the State Department of the United States of America. How have we gotten to this point? Oh, by the way, Mexico is considering joining BRICS. Mexico, our neighbor to the South, is not going to continue down the path hand in hand with the United States and the global regime. They're no longer interested in trading in fiat regime bucks. How is that possible? Well, it's probably because no one in the world takes these people seriously at all. And the problem has grown worse. This is Breitbart from Thursday. China says it has no time to deal with Antony Blinken. China's state-run Global Times propaganda newspaper published an editorial on Wednesday dismissing calls by American Secretary of State Antony Blinken for Beijing to return to communications with Washington, stating the Communist Party has no time for insincere people like Blinken. And you have to love that Breitbart is speaking the language of the regime. The Global Times is Chinese propaganda, but not any of our mainstream media outlets here. Now, the Global Times might be propaganda, but it's not propaganda in any different way than the New York Times or the Washington Post or the BBC are propaganda. Breitbart didn't exactly go hard on election fraud claims. Breitbart is propaganda to some extent. It's just funny how they can always do it when it's information from abroad. The Times was apparently responding to remarks Blinken made during his visit to Japan this week, during which he attended a meeting of the top diplomats of G7 member countries. The foreign minister published a joint communique condemning communist China for, among other provocative behavior, threatening to invade Taiwan and colonizing parts of the South China Sea that belongs to other countries. Now, again, Taiwan is part of China. 
According to official U.S. policy, the one China policy, why is Breitbart pretending otherwise? Blinken was reportedly scheduled to visit China in February. Beijing never confirmed that the trip would occur, but the timing coincided with the discovery of a Chinese surveillance balloon floating over Montana and eventually across North America, prompting widespread national security concerns. The administration of leftist president Joe Biden allowed the balloon to cross the country, shooting it down in East Coast waters days after its discovery. This month, a report revealed that the balloon likely sent intelligence regarding sensitive American military sites back to China in real time. Beijing claimed the balloon was innocuous and had accidentally floated out of Asia toward the Western Hemisphere. And of course, we've seen so many more sky circles since then. So Blinken, it was reported, postponed and then canceled that trip. China has a different take on the situation. They said in a statement, in actuality, the U.S. and China have never announced any visit. The U.S. making any such announcement is their own business, and we respect that. That's from China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Breitbart quotes the Global Times, saying, Blinken's planned visit to China in February was unilaterally postponed by the U.S. due to the sudden hype around the balloon incident before his departure. This, to some extent, has reflected the U.S.'s reckless and irresponsible attitude toward Blinken's visit to China. It refused to come then, but now insists on coming. How can everything be up to the U.S. and everyone else has to cooperate with it? China is a big country and will not indulge such problems. China's diplomacy is very busy and cannot adjust at any time according to the U.S.'s schedule, especially no time to receive insincere or even people with malicious intentions. The editorial also reports that China had frozen all communication at the highest diplomatic levels with the Biden administration since the balloon incident, apparently confirming them, saying almost every time its high ranking officials come, they bring a long list of so-called demands. So China doesn't talk to Blinken. Mexico doesn't talk to Blinken as Mexico is potentially in talks to join BRICS and unwilling to cooperate with the illegitimate administration at our border. Again, there is no reason to believe that other countries and other countries' leaders see Joe Biden as a legitimate president with the ability to make decisions and take control. Most people in the United States, even ones that argue for Joe Biden's legitimacy, still understand that Joe Biden doesn't have much control and that Joe Biden's fake administration is essentially just a third term for Barack Obama and that people like Susan Rice have been guiding Joe Biden the entire time, at least until yesterday when Susan Rice's resignation was announced. This is from NBC News. Susan Rice to step down as Biden's domestic policy chief. President Joe Biden's domestic policy advisor, Susan Rice, is stepping down from her post next month. Multiple current and former senior administration officials told NBC News the move brings to a close Rice's prolific, wide ranging and at times controversial tenure overseeing Biden's domestic agenda, including some of the thorniest political issues such as immigration policy. During her more than two years in the role, Biden has signed executive and legislative actions on health care, gun safety, student loans, policing and other key priorities for Democrats. Rice's last day will be May 26th. 
The article goes on to explain how great and important Susan Rice is. But let's skip to this. The timing of Rice's departure also coincides with the growing controversy over the White House's handling of migrant children who arrive unaccompanied at the southern border amid questions about whether the White House, including Rice, ignored warnings that sponsors of migrant children were making them work grueling jobs in violation of child labor laws. The White House has said that it is not the case. A senior administration official said Rice is proud of her work on the border. Administration officials said the controversy has nothing to do with Rice's decision to leave, which they said was already in the works. And of course, they couldn't be lying about that, even though the immigration problem has spanned her entire tenure in the fake Biden administration. NBC concludes the article by writing Rice hasn't ruled out a future stint in government. Her plan for now, according to a senior administration official, is to spend the summer with her family and contemplate her next act. So the Biden regime is collapsing, beset with scandal. And there are more that I still have to get to in this episode. But now they're losing probably Obama's number one person within the illegitimate administration, Susan Rice. She's going to go take a little time out and sit on the bench to see what happens next. Is Biden going to make it through the summer? Biden announced his candidacy today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But there's certainly the possibility that we are never going to see that materialize. They've already taken numerous precautions to shield Joe Biden from potential pitfalls that would emerge throughout his candidacy, especially knowing that there are people trying to primary him from the Democrat side. They've already canceled debates. He made his campaign announcement on video, and the Democrats have decided that their first primary is going to be in South Carolina. You might remember the last two cycles, 2016, 2020. The corrupt establishment candidates in each case who ultimately went on to win had not done well until South Carolina, where good old James Clyburn fired up the election fraud machine. The Democrat Party said black voters came out strong for the establishment. And lo and behold, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden became the new front runners immediately. Now they're just going to skip the process before South Carolina and get right to it. They'll claim that black voters came out very, very strong for Joe Biden, the man who was mentored by a Klansman for decades in politics, the man who said, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black, the man who wrote the crime bills. But black voters are going to come out and they're going to make sure Joe wins. Now, yesterday in The Sun, we have this headline. Hunter Biden associates with White House ties stand to get billion dollar payout in scam lawsuit leaked docs show two of Hunter Biden's closest business associates lined up a potential billion dollar payout from a highly controversial lawsuit that threatens to destroy Nigeria's economy. The U.S. Sun can exclusively reveal. And isn't that interesting? It was just a couple of months ago that very close Biden associates prominent tools of the regime were going over to Nigeria to make sure that they had free and fair elections. Bombshell leaked documents suggest that Jeffrey Cooper, 53, and convicted fraudster Devin Archer, 48, 
personally stand to gain hundreds of millions of dollars in one of the biggest international arbitration cases of all time. And secret records show that Cooper and Archer were in direct contact with President Joe Biden and his scandal hit son, Hunter, after they became embroiled in the case. Currently being fought in the UK, the extraordinary legal battle has pitted an engineering firm registered in the British Virgin Islands against the government of Nigeria. Process and Industrial Development, P&ID, is seeking a massive multi-billion dollar payout from the African nation over a failed January 2010 gas supply and processing deal. Oh man, another energy issue. A London arbitration tribunal in January 2017 found in P&ID's favor and ordered Nigeria to pay $6.6 billion, which has now ballooned to $11 billion with interest. But the country refused to do so and challenged the decision. The breach of contract case went to trial at London's high court earlier this year, and a judgment is expected in the coming weeks or months. If P&ID is awarded the full amount, it would force Nigeria, Africa's most populous nation and the sixth in the world, to hand over what is thought to be the equivalent of almost one third of its total foreign currency reserves. Very interesting. Furious Nigerian President Mahamadou Buhari described the case as a scam in a speech at the United Nations in 2019. And lawyers for the country argued in court that the 20-year gas deal was a sham and that P&ID had later bribed Nigeria's legal team in the arbitration to sabotage its strategy. P&ID strongly denies that the original deal was a sham and described Nigeria's claim of bribery as manifestly false and a pure piece of invention with no evidence to support it. Now, previously unseen documents linked to investigative group Marco Polo by a whistleblower and seen by the U.S. Sun show that Archer and Cooper, who both have deep business ties to the Bidens, are directly involved in trying to secure the payout for P&ID. The records show that Cooper was hired by P&ID as a consultant in April 2017 through a company that he founded in Delaware called 1800 Industries, LLC. In that deal, PNID agreed to retain the services of 1800 Industries in exchange for 10% of any payout it helps obtain from Nigeria in excess of $200 million. An email from Archer in May 2017 shows that he was already involved in trying to secure the reward at that stage. Archer says in the email, Jeff and I have been engaged by the client to help facilitate the collection of the award. Then in May 2018, 1800 Industries entered into a confidential assignment of proceeds agreement with high-powered law firm Boys Schiller Flexner and Archer, who has been a long-standing Boys client. In that agreement, 1800 agreed to hand Boys half of its 10% of the reward after notifying the law firm and Archer of its receipt. A side note from the 2019 email to Archer by one of his advisors in the P&ID matter states that Archer, quote, will enjoy 5% end quote of the eventual settlement. Archer is believed to owe substantial fees to boys for representing him in a fraud case he was convicted for, which may help explain why his 5% of the settlement would go to the law firm. Boys also employed Archer's business partner, Hunter Biden, from 2010 to at least 2016. 
The court battle over the payout was brought to the U.S. in March 2018 when P and ID sought to have the District Court of Washington, D.C. enforce the U.K. arbitration ruling. That U.S. case remains open pending the upcoming decision of England's high court. So basically, you've got Hunter Biden and his associates, associates of Joe and Hunter's, trying to make sure that this massive and potentially totally unjustified payout actually happens from Nigeria's government and that the Bidens get to share in part of that reward. The assumption here would be that somehow the political weight of the Biden family would help secure this payout. It sounds like they're signing Joe Biden up and therefore the U.S. government up to the extent that the regime is the U.S. government to serve as collection men. Essentially, they're basically like the heavy in a mafia scam. They're going to exert force to get Nigeria to pay up. And once Nigeria pays up, they're going to get part of the money for exerting the force they exerted. Once again, the Biden family meddling in foreign affairs for a profit. Where is our promised return to decency? Well, it's certainly not in Arkansas. Garrett Ziegler, who, as I said, authored the Marco Polo report. He is the founder of the Marco Polo Research Group. He posted this yesterday, citing an article from Arkansas Online, describing the situation between Hunter Biden and a woman named London Roberts, who Hunter Biden fathered a child with and has refused to pay child support. He's also refused to essentially participate in the court case, although he has now been ordered to appear. Here is the post and the citation from Ziegler. Hunter Biden must appear in all court hearings concerning his Arkansas paternity case, including one scheduled for May 1st. Independence County Circuit Judge Holly Meyer ruled Monday. Meyer expressed frustration during a Zoom hearing Monday with attorneys for Biden and London Roberts. From now on, I want both of your clients at every hearing I conduct, Meyer said. I will no longer allow us to excuse clients because it is interfering with the progress of litigation, which is taking way too long to get over simple points. Meyer made the comments after Brent Langdon, who represents Biden in the paternity case, mentioned a laptop computer that Biden reportedly left at a repair shop. Langdon said Garrett Ziegler, a potential expert witness in the case, professes to be an expert on the contents of the laptop, which reportedly contains some income tax records. There has never been, to my knowledge, an acknowledgement that this so-called laptop, he continually calls it Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop, Langdon began. Well, let's clear that issue up right now, said Meyer. Is it your client's laptop or not? Your Honor, I'm not involved in all of that stuff, said Langdon. It's not my client's laptop as far as I know. Meyer said she holds clients to what their attorneys say in court. Is it your client's position, you're representing this to the court, that it is not his laptop, the judge asked. Your Honor, I am not in a position to even begin to answer that question, Langdon said. Meyer denied to issue a restraining order requested by Langdon. Meyer scheduled an in-person hearing for 9 a.m. May 1st at the Independence County Courthouse in Batesville. London has a four-year-old daughter. The child, initially referred to in the case as Baby Doe, was born in August 2018. 
a paternity suit followed in May 2019. A DNA test showed with near scientific certainty that Hunter Biden is the girl's father, Meyer declared in a January 2020 order. That month, the parties agreed on temporary child support until the issue was resolved. In March 2020, Biden and Roberts reached an agreement to settle their paternity and child support suit. His request to have his child support payments adjusted reopened the case last year. In December, Robert's attorney filed a motion to change the child's name to Biden, saying the, quote, Biden name is now synonymous with being well-educated, successful, financially acute, and politically powerful. A four-page rebuttal by Biden's attorney demanded, quote, strict proof thereof that such request is in the best interest of the child, end quote. Discovery is the formal process of exchanging information between parties about the witnesses and evidence they'll present at trial, according to the American Bar Association. Meyer has scheduled a bench trial for July 24th through 25th in Batesville. So the return to decency that we were promised doesn't include the recognition of this child as Hunter's daughter or Joe's granddaughter. You'll remember that they didn't bother putting a stocking on the White House mantle for this baby, and Hunter is refusing to pay child support. Now, with all of this going on and all of the oxygen in the mainstream bubble being consumed by the stories about the media exits of people like Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, Joe Biden has moved into another totally undeclared war situation, this time in Sudan. The illegitimate White House released this statement on Sunday. At my direction, United States Armed Forces personnel have conducted an operation to evacuate United States personnel and others from Khartoum, Sudan, in response to the deteriorating security situation in Sudan. To conduct and support this operation, United States Armed Forces personnel with appropriate combat equipment deployed to Djibouti, Ethiopia, and Sudan. United States Armed Forces personnel will remain deployed in Djibouti to protect United States personnel and others until the security situation no longer requires their presence, and additional forces are prepared to deploy to the region if required. I directed this action consistent with my responsibility to protect United States citizens, both at home and abroad, and in furtherance of United States national security and foreign policy interests, pursuant to my constitutional authority as commander in chief and chief executive, and to conduct United States foreign relations. I am providing this report as part of my efforts to keep Congress fully informed, consistent with the War Powers Resolution. I appreciate the support of the Congress in these actions. So another situation of international conflict. Isn't that just great? Thank goodness we had that return to decency and the adults got back in the room because who could deal with President Trump's zero wars? Now, there's another interesting aspect of this situation, and that's that we now have the WHO claiming that there is a biosecurity threat in Sudan as a result of what's going on there. And we could have all sorts of different pathogens released. But from where do we have biolabs in Sudan? Oh, no, somebody has biolabs in Sudan, but it can't be us. And none of this has anything to do with any of that for sure. It's just that there's a chance we might have another pandemic arising from this conflict. 
Here's a little more on the situation in Sudan from, of course, the mainstream media. We got to get the central narrative on Sudan. This is from the Daily Mail yesterday. What is happening in Sudan? What is at stake for the West? And how could the situation play out? It's a long article, of course, because every article in the Daily Mail takes two and a half days to read. So I'm just going to give you the short version. Fighting has erupted across Khartoum and at other sites in Sudan in a battle between two powerful rival military factions, engulfing the capital in warfare for the first time and raising the risk of a nationwide civil conflict. Man, it's like two factions in every country are at war all at the same time. The fighting between forces loyal to two top generals has put the nation at risk of collapse and could have consequences far beyond its borders. Both sides have tens of thousands of fighters, foreign backers, mineral riches, and other resources that could insulate them from sanctions. It's a recipe for the kind of prolonged conflict that has devastated other countries in the Middle East and Africa, from Lebanon and Syria to Libya and Ethiopia, could insulate them from sanctions. Kind of sounds like Russia. The fighting, which began as Sudan attempted to transition to democracy, has already killed hundreds of people and left millions trapped in urban areas, sheltering from gunfire, explosions, and looters. My, my, my. Isn't it amazing what happens when countries transition to democracy? Tensions had been building for months between Sudan's army and the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, the RSF which together toppled a civilian government in an October 2021 coup. The friction was brought to a head by an internationally backed plan to launch a transition with civilian parties. A final deal was due to be signed earlier in April on the fourth anniversary of the overthrow of long ruling autocrat Omar al-Bashir in a popular uprising. And immediately you can hear the sound of the same regime playbook playing out in another place. There was a coup to unseat a quote-unquote autocrat by what the global media describes as a popular uprising and replace it with a transition to democracy. Both the army and the RSF were required to cede power under the plan and two issues proved particularly contentious. The timetable for the RSF to be integrated into the regular armed forces and when the army would be formally placed under civilian oversight. So the international community was trying to install what they call a civilian democratic government. Then fighting breaks out. Now we are sending in forces and oh yeah, there's a chance that whatever happens there might start a new pandemic. Are you getting the picture? Each element of this resembles something we have seen in Ukraine in the last 20 years. We will leave this discussion aside for now. I'm sure that we will return to it a couple of times in the coming weeks as more information emerges. Maybe we will get a brand new pandemic scare coming out of all of this. I kind of doubt it. Doesn't seem like it's going to work. They tried a new variant on everybody two weeks ago called Arcturus, and essentially no one bought it anywhere at all. These pandemics just simply cannot work if no one believes in them. We have learned that lesson again and again and again. So the Biden family's many corrupt dealings and crimes are coming to the surface. The illegitimate regime is collapsing. 
their secretary of state is persona non grata to significant countries around the world who are no longer willing to deal at all with the illegitimate regime. They have lost a major player in Susan Rice, and it's possible that her departure means that Barack Obama is cutting ties with Biden as he continues to implode. We have tax records emerging, whistleblowers emerging. The whole thing is really coming to a head. And in the background of all that, we are continuously reminded about the complete and total degeneracy and corruption of this family, right down to the point where Hunter will not pay child support for his daughter with London Roberts. And in the midst of all that, Joe Biden announces that he is going to run for president in 2024. He's making it official. All that they need is for the entire thing to be rigged for Joe Biden to be the winner. Can't risk a primary in New Hampshire. Can't risk a caucus in Iowa. They got to go right to South Carolina where the election fraud machine is at its best. Tap old Jim Clyburn on the shoulder. Tell him to fire up that election fraud machine and go out and get Joe Biden a win. Make him the nominee. No debates because you can't stand there next to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. while he tells you how awful your administration is. That just cannot be allowed. People are beginning to realize that they will rig elections whenever they need to. The Democrats are waking up now to this fact. It's difficult to imagine a situation where an incumbent, quote unquote, president would ever be in a weaker situation than this. At least people thought that Jimmy Carter was a sharp man and a good man who was trying his best and failing and maybe just not up to the job. No one can even say that about Joe Biden. They can talk all they want about Joe Biden's list of accomplishments, but no one in the country actually believes those things are accomplishments as the country gets continually worse and their own lives get worse at the same time. 70% of voters, according to polls, take them for whatever they're worth, don't want Joe Biden to run again. But we are still told that Trump can't win. Well, no one can win when the elections are rigged. And if elections are rigged, then elections don't matter. And we have to solve the problems another way. The problems still must be solved. Donald Trump released a statement today in response to Joe Biden running. And here it is. Take the five worst presidents in American history and put them together and they would not have done the damage Joe Biden has done to our nation in just a few short years, not even close. Thanks to Joe Biden's socialist spending calamity, American families are being decimated by the worst inflation in half a century. Banks are failing, our currency is crashing, and the dollar will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat in over 200 years. Real wages have been falling 24 months in a row in other words, under Biden, workers have gotten a pay cut each and every month for two straight years. We have surrendered our energy independence, just like we surrendered in Afghanistan, which we had just a short time ago. 
And the price of gasoline just hit a five-month high, and it's going much higher than that. Under my leadership, we had the most secure border in U.S. history by far. Never had a border like this. Under Biden, the southern border has been abolished, and millions of illegal aliens have been released into our communities. What's happening now is beyond belief. They're coming in from mental institutions and prisons. They're all being emptied. They're being dumped into the United States of America. Many of these people are very dangerous. They're being dumped. We're like a dumping ground. Our cities have been overrun with homelessness, drug addicts, and violent criminals who are being released from jail in mass with no retribution whatsoever, while law enforcement is weaponized against law-abiding conservatives or Republicans or people they just don't like. Our children are being indoctrinated and mutilated by left-wing freaks and zealots. The senior ranks of our military have gone completely woke, and our military is suffering greatly. Biden has totally humiliated our nation on the world stage, starting with the Afghanistan disaster, perhaps the most embarrassing event in the history of our country. It meant so much to our enemies when they watched that horrible retreat. Russia is teaming up with China. Iran is days away from a nuclear bomb, not even thinkable. Ukraine has been devastated by an invasion that would never, ever have happened if I was president. And Joe Biden has led us to the very brink of World War III. They say Trump was right about everything. Well, I'm not predicting World War III, but I will say this. We're very close, and they're only talking about nuclear weapons. On top of it all, Biden is the most corrupt president in American history, and that's not even close. Nobody can believe what's going on, with, again, no retribution whatsoever. With such a calamitous and failed presidency, it is almost inconceivable that Biden would even think of running for re-election. You know what happened in the last election? They cheated and they rigged the election. But I promise you this, when I stand on that debate stage and compare our records, it will be radical Democrats' worst nightmare because there's never been a record as bad as they have. And our country has never been through so much. There has never been a greater contrast between two successive administrations in all of American history, ours being greatness and theirs being failure. With your support in the election, we will defeat Joe Biden in 2024. We will rescue our economy. We will crush inflation. We will stop the invasion on our southern border. We will restore our nation's dignity, and we will prevent World War III from happening. Together, we will all make America great again. Thank you. He mentioned that they say Trump was right about everything. Turns out he was, and he's certainly right about all this. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. 
comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app, and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!